Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you have joined us. Tomorrow is the 4th of July, a day when we celebrate this country and celebrate the values our republic holds and represents. At the heart of those values is the idea that nearly everyone in this country comes from somewhere else. Europe or Asia, Africa, Australia, North or South America. This country at its best is an amalgam of people who were either seeking a better life when they came here or are here now trying to ensure the promise of opportunity for themselves and their families. But at its worst, America is a collection of paranoid xenophobes who fear that continuing to let people in will diminish opportunity for those who are already here. At its worst, this country wants to now draw very fine distinctions about, quote, following the laws of immigration rather than embrace the open-door spirit that brought millions to our shores for decades. Think of the pictures we're seeing right now of children separated from their families, of children dying in their parents' arms, all just to find the most basic elements of safety and prosperity in this country. Who are we that we permit this to happen? Who are we that we can't see just a tiny bit of ourselves or our ancestors in these newcomers? And who are we that we find reasons, no, actually we're finding excuses for the brutality that is unfolding around our borders? That's where we begin the conversation today, on the eve of the 4th of July. What does it mean to be American? And what does it mean in the context of people who want to be Americans, people who risk everything, including their lives, to come to this country? How should we be treating them, whether they're legal or undocumented? What do you think about what's happening along the border right now? What do you think about the pictures you're seeing on social media, in newspapers, on television? And if you're an immigrant, what's your experience been like in America? What was it like to come here? What's it like to be here? And has that experience changed since Donald Trump has been president? As always, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and we'll work you into the conversation. And we want to begin today's conversation with someone who has seen up close what is going on on our borders and in the detention facilities where people are being held. Congresswoman Brenda Lawrence is a Democrat who represents Michigan's 14th District. She visited the Homestead Migrant Detention Facility in Miami yesterday and joins us now. Brenda, welcome to Detroit Today. Oh, thank you so much, and happy 4th of July to you and to all the listeners. It's still a great country. It is. It is. Uh, so tell us what you saw when you visited this facility in Miami yesterday. It is a very large facility. While we were there, the report was that there were 2,200 children in that facility. Uh, there are some permanent and temporary permanent structures. Um, so there are bunks for the children, there are dining halls, there are classrooms. So let me tell you some of the moments that kind of stopped me in my seat. Mm -hmm. 
I'm in a classroom of children from 12 to 14. These were girls. And so they had plastered around the, the wall as well as throughout the facility ways to report sexual assault, including a hotline on the facility to report sexual assault. It's good, but it's, it, was a, it was just a sobering reminder of how vulnerable these children were. Hmm. And to Homestead's credit, they had built in a lot of policy, which I saw posted, on how to treat these children. But what was so amazing to me, Stephen, was in that classroom, along all the posters on the wall, there was a large printed Pledge of Allegiance. And I asked, are these children doing a Pledge of Allegiance? Now, slap that against, these are criminals, murderers, robbers. Um, these children have are, we're closed, we don't need them here anymore. And you're asking these children, who majority of them will be deported, mm. um, to say the Pledge of Allegiance. Now, for, for me, the Pledge of Allegiance is something that to me is I I'm humbled every time I say it. I I'm very proud to say it. And it's something you say as an American citizen. Why would these children be you know, I pledge allegiance to the United States of America. These children some came, they said unaccompanied, some who came with parents who they're separated from now. Um they will be placed in foster care somewhere in this country until we can get to their number. But in addition to that, when I walked into the dining hall, which was a big building, and they informed me that the children have 15 minutes to eat breakfast, 15 minutes for lunch, and 15 minutes for dinner. Mm. Now, we give prisoners 30 minutes to eat. But these children are required to eat in, in 15 minutes. I said, why? And the response was, we have a lot of children here. And in order to make the numbers work, they've got to eat in 15 minutes. Wow. So, you know, you, you we're asking things about the health, the mental health, the outbreak of measles. How, what are some of the conditions that these children are coming here as? So at no time while I was in this facility did I think that these were murders, rapers, and that we're full and whatever. It is, who who are we, the question that you ask is, who are we as America, Americans? Mm -hmm. Are we a country of values more? Are we a humanitarian leader in the world? Not just in the United States, but in the world. We're looked upon as being the the uh, blueprint of humanitarian efforts, how we our programs and our policies. So, you know, I also contrast this to when the children come in because I was in Texas as well um, months ago and saw the children lying on the floor with 24-7 lights shining in their face with this little blanket and they're in a cage and a um uh a 
Walmart building that was repurposed for this. And then they go to this temporary emergency shelter, and then they're transported to over 30 locations around the country that this for-profit company will send them to get them placed in a foster home. We absolutely need to protect our borders. So often when Democrats are talking about the crisis because we're talking about the humanitarian issues of those who cross our border, which I will not back away from, is that we want everybody to come into this country. I want a process. So those who want to come to this country, like over 60% of the people who are in the United States now are first or second generation Mm -hmm. from someone who immigrated in this country. And it's higher than that. And I was doing another show and they were saying, well, my father came over on the Mayflower and he came here the right way. Why are we letting these people come in just crossing our borders? And one of the powerful things is that your parents bought a ticket on the Mayflower or they stowed away on on a ship which is not the option for so many of these people, and they're seeking asylum. So let's talk about the crisis. It's over a two-year wait for you to have your day in court. Mm -hmm. And so for two years, if if I escape from being tortured, from being victims of um, abuse and uh, gangs and rape and all the other things that are happening. At least I have two years in a country that will have laws and policies that won't allow that to happen to me. These children are being fed three times a day, which is where they came from is not really a reality. And then you talk about building walls. And the thing that frustrates me the most about that if you can build these temporary emergency shelters to house these illegal immigrants, why can't we build temporary courtrooms and hire judges to process these requests for asylum? Right. That makes more sense. So they can have their day in court. So the policies that we have make them work because you don't have this backlog of judges. And then you look at what are we doing to have a comprehensive immigration plan? And you can tell me that these children are a nuisance, they shouldn't be here, da da Well, we have dreamers who we know who they are because we made them identify themselves. We, as Congress, sent a bill over to the Senate that will give every dreamer a process to citizenship. And without that, these dreamers who have lived there, most of them their entire life, who have pledged allegiance, have gone to our schools, who have been educated here, who are in serving in our military, who have jobs, have completed every requirement we've had of them, and we don't have a way for citizenship to them, and we promise that, 
And all the Senate is doing now for the last eight weeks are confirming judges. They are not interested in legislation. Yeah, they're not interested in, in digging into this issue. Um, uh, Congresswoman, I want to I want to work some callers into this uh, discussion because I think uh, we need to hear from people who are having this experience or had this experience. And again, if you want to join the callers, who we already have queued up, uh, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put some comments there if you like, or you can hashtag us on uh, Twitter and we'll try to work you into the conversation. Let's start with uh, Preeti in Bloomfield Hills. Preeti, welcome to the show. Preeti, are you there? Hello. Are you there, Preeti? Okay. Uh, you're going to have to call us back. Uh, you might not uh, be able to hear us there. Uh, let's go to Susan in Macomb. Susan, welcome to Detroit today. Good morning. Hi. Um, I'm in a really unique position here because um, my husband works for the Border Patrol. Mm-hmm. Um, we, lived on, we grew up on the East Coast. Uh, I didn't even know what the Border Patrol was when he got hired. He had sent out 100 applications, um, interviewed for Secret Service, Uniform Division, you know, all of that, um, every federal agency he could. Um, And um, we moved from the East Coast to um, the southern border. And um, I... The area we grew up in was so white bread, you asked people what parish they lived in, not where <laughs> they lived. Right. Uh, not what neighborhood they lived in. Um, so I was, uh, I had the experience of being a minority. I mean, when my son played football, he was the one white face right in the middle of the, the team picture. I mean, you could zero in on him like a target. Um, our parish out there was like 97% um, Filipino. We had masses in Tagalog. Mm-hmm. Um, we, my husband, the first, I, we moved out there. I was 32 weeks pregnant. My husband got sent to the hospital three times for injuries on the job before I delivered that baby. Um, there were immigrants that were throwing rocks that were, um, you know, setting up uh, places where they could ambush um, agents. Mm-hmm. Um, his training officer was killed on the job when my husband was there. Um, and there were agents that would be racist and they would call immigrants tongs. It makes when you hit them on the head with your flashlight. Wow. Yeah. Um, Um, we moved, we moved to the Northern border. Um, it's a, it's different up here. Sure. Um, and, um, my husband so, is not aligned with the current, uh, administration's policies. Uh-huh. And he says he's the only one that hasn't drunk the Kool-Aid. Mm. Um, as a nurse, I, um, I find it, I found myself in a couple of hard positions because I would treat patients that I knew were illegal. I can't say anything to my husband. Right. And I'm listening to these people's stories and I'm like, you know what? I, I have full sympathy with you. I would do exactly what you did. 
knowing where you came from and what was going on. Yeah. Um, and then. So Susan, it, so Susan, I, I appreciate the call and, and the stories. And I, I, what I really like about what you're saying here is the complexity of it, that, that there are lots of different things happening and, you know, your reaction to those things is, is different depending on sort of your perspective uh, or, or, or what it is. And I, and I think that's one of the things that kind of gets lost in this conversation a lot is that complexity, the idea that this is not a simple way, it's not a simple uh, problem uh, from, from any perspective. And, and Susan, I really appreciate you sharing that. I, uh, Preeti in Bloomfield Hills uh, is back with us, and I want to I want to go to go back to that uh, that conversation. Preeti, welcome to Detroit today. Preeti, are you there? Okay, I'm not sure. I'm not sure uh, they're paying attention to the phone there. All right, let's go to Jay in Westland. Jay, welcome to Detroit today. Hi. Good morning. Good day, Steve. Hi. I'm a regular caller to your program. Last time I called about immigration, and I didn't have enough time to to tell you what is not being talked about. Um, I'm pleading, I'm pleading to the Congresswoman. This is what is not talked about about immigration. Some of us from Africa, we are here and we are ready to go back to Africa. But we have dictators in Africa, supported by mostly European countries, and the United States, who have been in power for more than 40 years, and they are the reasons we are here. I called the Congresswoman's uh, office the other day, complaining about a genocide taking place in Africa, hmm. in mm-hmm. Cameroon. In Cameroon, they have killed more than 13,000 people, burnt them alive. It is a dictator who has been in power for 40 years, for, for 37 years, sorry. And it's been supported by Europe, and American policy. This is what I'm saying. Anybody who doubts me to go to this site, ambazonagenocidelibrary.com, and see what is happening, I'm begging on the Congresswoman, please, please, Brenda Lawrence, mm. please send a fact-finding mission to this region and see what is happening. It is a genocide. There's no other way. There's no other way, Steve. Yeah. We are suffering. We Africans in the metro Detroit area. Mm. And we have formed a political group to vote on our interests. Mm. We don't want to stay in America. We want to go back to Africa. Get rid of these dictators. Ambazonagenocidelibrary.com. Wow. Please go there and see what is happening to my people. I'm begging you. Yeah. I'm begging the congresswoman. Please, Jay, please. I, Jay, I really appreciate the call and, and, and Jay, that I, context. Yeah, I go ahead. I appreciate it. Congresswoman. Uh, I appreciate your call, too. So often when we're having this discussion about um, immigration, it's limited to the Spanish-speaking countries from the South. We have issues with the, um, and I'm very much aware of the genocide and so many Africans who are in this country seeking asylum, and they are legitimately qualified to seek asylum based on what's happening. They're the Iraqi communication, uh, community who are being persecuted because of their religion. This is like, like you said, Stephen, a very complex issue. And so often they limit it, uh, to just those coming from 
Guatemala or um, or from the Spanish-speaking countries. And what is happening in Africa? Our entire it's, it's a genocide. I mean, entire populations being wiped out. And what is so difficult when you hear this discussion about we're going to send them back, we're going to deport them. Mm-hmm. For some of them, and I will tell you, some of these African communities, there's nothing there because they, their communities or their villages have been destroyed. And then if they set ground on the back in their country, they will be killed. The same thing with my Iraqi um, um, citizens, uh, individuals who are living here and want to seek asylum mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, the fact that their entire cities and villages have been destroyed. There's, you send me back to, what, a pile of rocks? And so it is a very complex, and that's why our courts and our defining what is the asylum um, requirements are extremely, extremely important. And that's why we need to do the work instead of just yelling about building a bridge. This is very, very comprehensive. And we in America have never shut our doors on those individuals who want to come here and want to work. And and the African um, community, those who are seeking asylum, those from India, Mm -hmm. people don't realize we have people from India who are coming and applying for citizenship here. And they are coming, so many of these individuals, educated with skills, and they're coming to this country and they can provide needed resources that we need in our workforce. And when people say we're full and Americans can do the work, we ask the farmers how many Americans line up to to pick the harvest or to plant the crops. How many people are <clears throat> jobs and opportunities in our workforce are skilled trades and other things that are not happening, we right. need to do a better job. Yeah. But there's opportunities that make America workforce enhance it with our immigration population. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Congresswoman Brenda Lawrence, uh, is always great to have you with us for these conversations here on uh, Detroit Today. Thanks very much for what you're doing, and thanks very much for being with us. Thank you so much. And again, uh, the 4th of July is just a moment for us to stop and to remember how we became a democracy and to, for me, to refortify that. Yeah. Thank you. Remember Have a great holiday. Yeah, you too. Uh, up next, we're going to continue this conversation with a Detroit DACA recipient and a local immigration attorney. Also, stay with us on the phones, Adele and Dearborn. There's some other calls queuing up now. We'll get to you as well. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We are talking on the eve of the 4th of July about what it means to be American, and we're talking about that in a very specific 
context. We're talking about it in the context of those who want to be Americans, people who risk sometimes everything, including their lives, to try to come to this country. Uh, We are having a very, very uh, intense debate in this country right now about immigration, about immigration law and policy and enforcement. Uh, We want to talk about some of the things that we're seeing and whether they comport with our idea of what this country should be. Is this a country that should lock children in cages when they separate them from their parents at the border? Is this a country that should have a debate about whether kids should have clean sheets to sleep on or uh, enough meals every day or toothbrushes? Is this a country that should not blanch at the sight of a father cradling his child in his arms as they both die trying to cross the borders here. These are questions that I think we owe it to ourselves and to everyone who's part of this country to be asking right around holidays like the 4th of July when we are reminded of the values that make up this country and that we are supposed to represent. As always, we want to hear from you this hour what you think about what's going on in terms of immigration in this country. Are you okay with the things that uh, the Trump administration has instituted? Uh, Or are you horrified by them and wondering how you might make a change? As always, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. 1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will try to work your comments into the conversation. We especially want to hear from people who are newcomers to this country, people who immigrated to America. What has your experience been like, and what has your experience been like since 2017 uh, when Donald Trump took uh, the oath of office to become president and radically changed the approach to many immigration issues. Uh, We've got two more folks to help round out this conversation now. Uh, Juan Gonzalez is a local DACA recipient and an activist. He's talked with us before about immigration. Uh, Juan Gonzalez, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thanks, Stephen. Also with us is Melly Goldberg. She's a legal director at Justice for our neighbors, Michigan. Uh, Melanie, welcome back to Detroit Today. You also have been a guest here before. Yes, thank yeah. you. Um, so uh, before we get back to callers, and we do have a lot of uh, calls, of course, we always do on this subject. Uh, Juan, um, I, I want to talk about how things have changed for you uh, individually in the last couple of years uh, under under this current administration, which uh, has taken a really different approach toward uh, toward dreamers uh, like yourself. Uh, personally, I mean, I'm still covered by DACA. I still have those protections, even though those are tenuous. Those are in the court right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that has uh, surfaced is the brutality of the immigration system in America. I mean, some of these things aren't new to this current administration. Now, this administration does have, to, uh, as a policy, seem to have despair as their policy to try to uh, prevent people from wanting to come here in the first place, but that's not going to stop people want to come and look for a better life, right? Uh, you mentioned earlier about um, if immigrants have, you know, the right to toothbrushes and soap and some of these things. There was a court case that was uh, argued before the Ninth Circuit just earlier this uh, in June, um, and the uh, attorney was arguing that it wasn't, you know, clear uh, clear that the government had that responsibility to provide soap, blankets, toothbrushes to kids. And this happened during the Obama administration. So mm-hmm. some of these things aren't new to the, just this administration. Immigration has been, I mean, 
a very uh, divisive and tough subject to even talk about. And I'm glad now that we're having these conversations because these, some of these things aren't new to you know this current administration. Yeah. Uh, the Supreme Court is going to take up uh, the challenge to DACA in the in the fall as somebody who's here by virtue of that executive order, what does that what does that make you? How does that make you feel? the The idea that the court will ha- will ultimately decide whether this is uh, going to go forward. Uh, it's putting my life pretty much like on a timetable that I can't have any control over. It's pretty much based on what the judges decide, right? And I mean, it's frightening. It's scary. But at the end of the day, uh, let hope be the last thing we lose. And you just have to keep moving forward. I don't let that change any of my plans. I mean, right now, I'm currently studying for the LSAT, trying to graduate from school and I plan on starting law school next fall. And whether or not the court decides to keep DACA in place, that's not going to change my plans by any means necessary. So, uh, I mean, just keep going forward. And uh a lot of people tell me, hey, you're the exception. You're the one going to school. And I find that to be unfair and inaccurate because I have a lot of friends who they might not be going to school, but they're working just as hard as I am or even harder. And that doesn't put any higher value on me or on them. It just means that we're people just trying to get by, just trying to you know, put a roof over our heads and eat food and thrive mm-hmm. for our families. Mm-hmm. Uh, Melanie Goldberg, uh, we, we've seen really disturbing images of adults and children dying trying to cross the border. We've seen images of children uh, being detained in conditions that I think none of us uh, think are okay uh, in recent in recent uh, weeks and months. Uh, talk about how the topic of immigration has evolved and escalated in the media over uh, the last few years. Well, I think the horrific images of of children just being packed in cages, like or cages in jails, looking like cages, and you know, with uh, with flimsy foil blankets and um, and you know, and the children holding up signs saying how many days they've been in, and it, it's just horrid. And anybody who is not whose heart doesn't hurt when when they see such images, I I, I have no words. Yeah, yeah. So um, how does this play out here in our community? Uh, and talk about some of the work that Justice for Our Neighbors Michigan is doing with the people who are affected by all of this. Right. So um, some of the, child, the children who are lucky enough to be released uh, go under the supervision of the Office of Refugee and Resettlement. And we have several foster care agencies in Michigan, or at least one in Grand Rapids that gets many of the children. And we have an office in Grand Rapids and one in Kalamazoo who have connections with Bethany Christian Services, which is the organization that does get the foster children. So we have clients as young as five years old who are trying to explain why they're afraid to go back to their country so that the attorney can fill out a a competent asylum application for Mm -hmm. them so they can go to the asylum office and tell the asylum officer, the five-year-old, you know, why they're afraid to go back to their country. And they have no they're here as unaccompanied children with no parents, no guardians, other than those provided by the state. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Uh, let's go to Hussein in Sterling Heights. Hussein, welcome to Detroit Today. Hello, Steve. Hi, how are you? 
Good. How are you? Good. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, I look at it this way. It's like uh, a patient with a cancer. You let the cancer go into about 20 years in his body, and you come back to attack it, okay, at this at the late stage. This is how it is. Like these, these people have been here for 20 or 30 years. Their kids went to school, learned how to be, you know, uh, nationalist, how to be proud of being in this country, part of this country. So you come after 20 years or 30 years and you deport them back. The parents are productive. They're working. They're paying taxes. They're not a burden on the society. Mm. And we put the kids in cages like monkeys. This is inhumane, inhumane, immoral, unconscionable. Honestly, it's just like so insulting to the human race. Yeah. Now, we're bringing people from other nations simply because they're saying we are um, we're being oppressed because of our religion, ethnicity. And this is all based on most of them with all due respect. And 80% of these cases are lies. They're not oppressed because of their religion or ethnicity. But they let them come to this country. They can't work. They're too old and productive. They milk the system, and they get away with it. But these people who are actually true dreamers, and they wanted to contribute to the economy and to the betterment of this society and this country, hmm. are forbidden from achieving or even thinking of the American dream. Yeah. I am an immigrant myself, 1976, mm. okay? And I came legitimately. My oldest brother sponsored me to come to this country. I've been working 44 years, okay? Never been without work, paid taxes, drew my share, okay? Got my citizenship in 1980. I abide by the laws. Okay, and I pay my dues and my liabilities. Yet, until now, wherever I work, they call me an immigrant, go back home. Mm. So mm. it doesn't bother me. It's okay, you know, because most of these people, with all due respect, are ignorant, with all due respect to others. But a lot of people are ignorant of the facts. Yeah. Uh, they saying... ignore that there are 12 million Americans working in the Middle East. I am from Lebanon. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm from the Middle East. There's an estimate where Americans working in, uh, in the Middle East only, about 12 million people. And these people have never been insulted. I worked in Saudi Arabia for a while. They've been, you know, they are respected. They're all over the, the Middle East. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, the sad thing is Hussein, I I appreciate thing. the call and and the the example there. I mean, you know, uh somebody who's been in this country since 1976 who's still facing, you know, the, the as he calls it, the the sort of ignorant questions about why he's here, whether he belongs here. Um uh one I I want to if you can tell us just a little about uh, the background of your story, how you came to this country uh, and and are now protected uh, uh, by DACA. What 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 brought your parents to this uh, to this conclusion that you needed to be in in America? Yeah, I'll give you the elevator pitch. Um, 
So my father first came in 1988, I believe, with a work visa way mm-hmm. back in the day, uh, right before my sister was born. So he wasn't there for the first, you know, four years of her life. And so when he went back to renew his visa, that's when I was born, and his father posed this question to him or posed these options to him. They said, you cannot, you might be providing for your family now while you're in the United States, but your kids don't have a dad now. So you have one or two options. You either stay in Mexico with them and raise them there. You take them with you and you raise them, you know, with you in America. And so he chose the latter. He chose to bring us over to America, knowing what that would entail, knowing how hard it would be for us to get a family visa, which we couldn't get. So he was able to come over before us and we came over undocumented, me and my older sister. And had, you know, the current policies been in place back when we came, we would have been in cages. Mm. It's as simple as that. The kids going through what they're, what's happening today aren't what I experienced, you know, 20 plus years ago. So I grew up in America. But their status is the same is what you're saying. Yeah. That, that yeah. if we had these policies in place, that, that would have happened to you. That's exactly what would have happened to me. So I grew up in America undocumented, not knowing exactly what that meant, but knowing that I had to keep it you know, under the ropes, stay quiet about it just because that could be, you know, a big impact on my family. They had you know, certain people knew about it. And it wasn't until high school that I figured out exactly how much of an impact this would be on my life when I knew that I couldn't get a job. So, I mean, I, I got a job after about a couple of weeks of searching as a dishwasher and they told me, hey, do you want to work today? I said, yeah, let me go home and change. So I go home, change, work the day. I come in the next morning on Sunday and they tell me, hey, we got raided by ICE last year. We need you to, you know, we need your social security card. I'm like, well, I don't have one. So they let me go that day. And that was the first time it really hit me. I was like, oh my God, this is what this means. Mm. And so I drove home in tears. I was crying. This isn't fair. Like I grew up here. My English is way better than my Spanish. And, uh, <laughs> but, um, I had this sense of, uh, I had given up pretty much in high school. I was very upset with a lot of different things, uh, with my parents, with this country, with, you know, with Mexico, with everybody pretty much. And it wasn't, um, once DACA came around, once President Obama implemented DACA, it allowed me to get a uh, work permit. It was a, a huge relief. I was able to get a license, get a job, get all these things. And even then, there's still that, um, that bit that was, it was temporary. It was only, you know, every two years. And on top of that, I have to pay to get it renewed and I have to give them all this information. So at the end of the day, they still have like this leash around me, these chains. And wow. it's, it's, I, I hate it. I'm not going to lie. Like it's, it's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, we'll continue talking with Juan and Melanie. And we'll continue to hear from you about how you think America should be treating immigrants. Tom in Detroit, Adele and Dearborn Fred in Farmington Hills. We'll get to you next. And if you want to join them, of course, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you've joined us. It's the eve of the 4th of July, and we're talking about what it means to be an American in the context of the way that we are treating immigrants to this country, legal or undocumented uh, immigrants, refugees to this country. Uh, Think of the images that we see daily, it seems, at this point on social media and in newspapers and on television of inhumane often brutal treatment 
that is befalling people who simply want to come to this country for a better life. Is that the way that we conceive of Americanism? Is that the way that we want this country to operate. As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Um, my guests this hour are uh, Juan Gonzalez, a local DACA recipient and activist, and Melanie Goldberg, who is the legal director at Justice for Our Neighbors, Michigan. Uh, let's go back to the phones here. Let's go to Fred in Farmington Hills. Fred. Welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, glad to have this opportunity to state something I've been formulating for a while. Mm-hmm. First of all, let's stop calling them migrants. Call them refugees because that's what they are. Mm-hmm. They've they've walked a thousand miles or more to escape a lawless situation that threatens their very existence, and and it takes a lot of guts to leave family and friends in the only country you've ever known to come to a place that you know may not welcome you, but where you, you'll you be relatively safe and have an opportunity to prove your own worth as a human being. The single most important factor that makes America great is that gene, that chutzpah, that spirit, those guts mm. that it took us or our ancestors to come to these shores. Mm. And for those whose ancestors did not come voluntarily or who were already here, we owe them the respect and the dignity of acceptance and freedom of choice to live their lives as they see fit. Mm. And let's be honest, the Republicans aren't worried that refugees and immigrants are going to take our jobs or murder or rape us. They are worried that they will become Democrats. Because when you're on the outside looking in, you can see where the truth is. Yeah, Fred, I really appreciate the call uh, and the sentiments there. Uh, Melanie Goldberg, I wonder, I wonder, uh, if you can talk some about the things you hear from the families uh, y- your organization works with who want to come here and the difficulty that they have, uh, you know, getting uh, legal status uh, to, to, to be in this country, does that dampen their enthusiasm for the idea of being Americans, especially in the last few years as uh, the administration in the White House has been so hostile to the idea of them even coming legally. Right. So the, you know, as many of you have heard before, that the immigration law, um, Immigration and Nationality Act, is only as or maybe more complicated than the tax code. And the most, the most draconian, restrictive immigration reforms were signed by President Clinton in 1996 and were enacted in 97 and 98, which is right when I started practicing. Mm. So at that time, I thought, oh, things can only get better. Well, through the <laughs> succeeding administrations, they've only gotten more and more restrictive. Going back to an earlier caller, Hussein, who came in 1976 uh, and a petition that was filed by a brother, um, he's lucky he came then because anybody who wants to file, a U.S. citizen who would like to file for their brother or sister now is going to wait maybe 20 years before that brother or sister gets to the front of the line. Mm. So that's probably, you know, somebody who's worked really hard and gotten themselves to the status of U.S. citizen and is very proud and happy and would like to bring their brothers and sisters here, you tell them, 
well, yeah, we can file the paperwork now, but it's going to be maybe 20 years. And that's because of our quota system. And the quotas have not been changed, I think, for maybe 50 years. So quotas are not meeting the needs of families and employers. I mean, we talk about families now. We talk about um, about the undocumented, about the unaccompanied children at the border. But there's also a whole new set of litigation going to in support of employers who want to bring employees in who are waiting ungodly amounts of time. You know, an employer who wants to hire somebody and, and petition them for a green card, it may be five years, six years, seven years before that green card comes. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's it's if the, the laws, and, and this is one of the things that I think is really important to note, the laws are really different now than they have been. It is a lot harder now uh, to, to be a legal immigrant to this country uh, than it has been for most of the time that uh, they, the country has existed. And so when you hear people say, well, you know, my relatives came here legally uh, in the 20s or uh, in the last uh, century, they're talking about apples and oranges. It's right. not It's not really the same thing. And then you have a, an administration who's trying to circumvent the laws by, by initiating these policies and issuing policies. So the most recent thing that's happened is... Um, uh, letters have been going out of fines. So there across the country, ICE has sent letters to people who were ordered deported or removed, which is a civil action. Mm -hmm. It's a civil case in immigration law. It's not a criminal case. And people maybe have not left after they were ordered to removed. So instead of going out and arresting them and putting them on a plane, they are now sending them letters saying that they owe up to $500,000 in fines for not having left the country. Yeah, yeah. it's, it's this kind of uh, tightening of, of every possible pressure point to, to, to make it um, uncomfortable for people for people to be here. Um, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Tom in Detroit. You're up next. Yeah, good morning. You know what? Right now, I mean, collectively, we're a better country than that. But right now, we are the ugly American. Uh, you know, I think um, when I was talking to the, your screener, I mentioned the fact that this isn't the first time that this country has separated, you know, children from, you know, from their mothers. You know, and I'm going back to slavery when that happened mm -hmm. right there. But, um, you know, there's got to be... I know, not got to be, there is a better way to do this. But as and Fred, I got to give him big kudos in terms of what his comment was, which was right on, on the money. But, you know, this whole thing in terms of how, you know, Hispanics and Latinos have been denigrated, you know, you're, you, you, the Arabs have been uh, denigrated. And, you know, the whole nine yards since, you know, number 45 came into being, and where we are right now. I mean, it's just a doggone shame that, you know, the United States has, you know, fallen as far as it has, even with our allies. I mean, I'm pretty sure some of the allies are sitting there scratching their heads going like they don't believe this in terms of, you know, the relationship that they have with the United States right yeah. now. Yeah, Tom, I really appreciate the call okay. uh, and, the, and the comments. We've got a couple of uh, Twitter comments. I want to work into the conversation here. Uh, a listener writes, it's never about immigration. Uh, I used to get the go back to Mexico shtick in middle and high school, and guess what? 
I was born here. It's about racism. Uh, AK on Twitter says, we don't have an immigration problem. We have a white supremacy problem. We don't have race problems. We have a white supremacy problem. Uh, the, the connection to race and the idea that this is happening to brown and black people uh, at this point, I think, is one of the things you can't lose sight of either. Uh, this, this is, in many cases, driven by who's coming now versus who was coming uh, uh, before when, when immigration laws were a lot different and a lot looser. Uh, Brad on Twitter says, uh, I work with DACA kids whose parents have been or under threat of being deported. At graduation, a few students uh, had no family to cheer their accomplishments. Immigration policy is destroying families and tearing apart our country. We can do better. Um, let's quickly go back to the phones before we have to end the hour. Dwayne and Moreau, Monroe. Uh, Dwayne, yes, welcome thank, to Detroit. Hello, thank you for taking my yeah, call. Go ahead. Um, I, I take great exception to your comment, sir, that immigration, quote-unquote, was much easier years ago. I came to this country legally in 1965 mm-hmm. uh, with my family. I remember as a young boy watching my parents, who were not well-educated, uh, slave over a myriad of documents for a family of six hmm. to come to this country legally. Uh, we did. Dad got a, a work visa first. Three years later, we came here. I'm a, I am now an American citizen. Um, I do believe we should quadruple the size of the people who process immigration claims because it shouldn't take that long. Hmm. Uh, think of a 1040A form yeah. where, you know, where do you, where are you from? Where are you living now? Where do you work? Boom, you got uh, you got temporary resident status. Yeah, uh, uh, Dwayne, so I, I'm I'm going to run out of time, but I appreciate the, the the call and the sentiments, and and I certainly didn't mean to imply that you know people were just sort of walking across the borders. It's just that uh, the difficulties now look really different. And of course, uh, there are there are racial dimensions to to what's going on, and and I do wonder whether. A family like yours, Dwayne, would be welcomed uh, today in the same way that it was, even though it was sort of tough in the 60s. Uh, I think, uh, you know, the system is still a little tighter and a little harder to get through. Okay, uh, we're out of time, but I want to thank Juan Gonzalez uh, and Melanie Goldberg for being here uh, for this conversation. Juan, very uh, good luck to you with with everything that's uh, hanging in the balance with this Supreme Court case in the future of DACA. But thanks for being here. Uh, That's going to do it for me today. I'll be back on Monday. I want everyone to have a happy and very safe 4th of July. Uh, Tune in tomorrow for the first installment of a two-part special audio documentary on the 50th anniversary of the moon landing. We're going to be back on Monday looking at how economic uncertainty is playing out in the auto, healthcare, and farming sectors. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again on Monday.